Awards, we're going to be talking about reaching the next generation. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a lot of young people in our church. In fact, we've actually had a few consultants that came to our church and they told us, man, you have a really high percentage of kids and youth in your church uh, per capita of, of how many people you actually have in your church. And I said, I know, I can't get rid of them. They just keep popping up everywhere. And, um, and, that, and that's really cool because Pastor Mark and Dr. Crystal really founded this church with a desire to reach the next generation. And there was actually, I remember when, we, when I first came over uh, about 25 years ago, Mark and I were talking about a statistic that the George Barna uh, 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 survey group did. And the Barna group is actually this biggest Christian polling survey uh, uh, group that, that specifically just deal in data of the church. And in the 90s, they discovered this, that 80% of those who make a decision to follow Christ do so between the ages of 12 and 21. How many of you here got saved or started to follow Christ when you were young, before the age of 21? Okay, so I can take a rough idea. It's about 80% of you. If you're online with me, tell us what your, your age was so we can kind of take some of this data. Write in what your age was and tell us you know, how, how old you were when you decided to follow Christ as well. Um, um, in fact, recently they did one in 2014, so that's about seven years ago, and they found that 43% who make a decision to follow Christ do so before the age of 13. So it's even younger than ever before. So we've really, been, we've really made a conscious effort over the years to say, okay, are we about the gospel of Jesus Christ and trying to win the next generation or do we want to make money? Well, guess what? Trying to win kids to Christ and youth to Christ doesn't bring you money in as a church. It doesn't, right? And we knew that. But when you find, well, for every vision, God has to create a provision. For every vision, there has to be provision. That means for the vision. And if you didn't hear uh, Bishop Robinson's uh, teaching last week, I really do encourage you to go back and listen to that because it really gave us a mandate to change our appetite for what God is about to give us and lead us to. But there is one scripture I want to talk about today because I'm going to get into a lot of statistics today about reaching the next generation. So there's not tons of scripture going on but except this one scripture that is really, really something that broke my heart a few years ago when I read it. Because it was talking about, we were studying, it was, gosh, it was about five years ago. We were studying Joshua and how he had to go into the promised land and take hold of what God was calling him to take hold of. And when I was reading this, excuse me, it was really cool studying the, the walls of Jericho, etc., and, and how one thing led to the next. But when they had done their job, I came across the scripture in Judges chapter two, verses 10 and 11. It says this, after that whole generation, that's the Joshua generation. Now, let me make this really clear. The Joshua generation is considered the greatest generation in the Old Testament because they were the ones that were trusted to take the promised land. They were the ones that were bold enough to actually go and take a hold of the promised land. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that means they died, and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. And I'm telling you, when I read this, I went, wait a second, how is this possible? How is it the Joshua generation that saw miracles happen? They, they walked over the Jordan, the Jordan split before them. They walked around Jericho and the walls fell down. They saw God do miraculous things in their midst. They saw themselves take the promised land. They saw their wealth and their prosperity explode. They just saw amazing things happen and their kids didn't know anything about it. Their kids didn't know 
They neither knew the Lord, they don't know how to walk with God, they don't know how to speak with God, they don't know how to believe or trust in God, and they did not know what He had done for Israel. They didn't know about the desert, they didn't know about the Red Sea, they didn't know about any of that stuff, and because of that, they fell away from God. And I thought, this is one of the saddest scriptures I have ever read in my life. So that's why today, I've been reading up a lot about this, and today I wanna to talk about the six reasons why young people leave the church, and it's from a book called You Lost Me by David Kinnaman. And this is taken from data across the church, capital C church across America, uh, from big churches, small churches, wild churches, camp churches, the whole lot. It's taken a lot of data, and we've found out this information. We're not guessing on this stuff. This is the responses that we have gotten from young people, why they have left the church. And I can tell you today, you're not gonna walk away encouraged, thinking, oh, God loves me, and Jesus just loves me so much today. But I'm hoping that you'll walk away motivated, which is what we need as a church. We need to be motivated. In fact, our word for this year was activation, to be activated into the kingdom of God with what he has called us to do. So this is talking about young Christians. So I'm gonna go through them one by one. Number one, the first one is this. Churches seem overprotective. Churches seem overprotective. We were just talking about this with a, a sweet new couple that we had met this week about the, the, how, how you know, many of us grew up with this overprotectivity. And 25% of them said this, that Christians demonize anything outside of the church. Now, I don't know what you're like, but when I grew up, right, when I was young, I wasn't allowed to watch E.T. Why? Because E.T. was like a demon coming down to earth telling you, ah, come on, you know, like that. And I'm like, oh no, you can't watch that. And I'm like, but all my friends are watching. E.T. No, you can't watch E.T. You're a Christian. I'm like, it stinks. It sucketh in the name of Jesus to be a Christian. Right? How many of you, what about Care Bears? Remember the Care Bears? No, the power that came out of their chest and the rainbows that came out. No, no, that's demonic. You can't do that stuff. No, no, no. What about about He-Man, right? By the power of... Oh, you remember it. Oh, I see the sinners now. I see the sinners in the room. You weren't like me, yeah? Pure and holy as the driven snow. I get it. Listen, parents don't really want their kids buying into things that the normalizing things that are maybe somewhat demonic or so. I mean, even First Peter 5 says that the devil prowls around like a lion looking to devour. But we have gotten to the place where many churches or many Christian parents have gone to the place where They're so scared that their kids are gonna see something that they're overprotective and now their kids feel that and then they go, I don't wanna be a part of church because all it is is rules and regulations. Here's a great idea. What if we decide to teach our kids cultural discernment rather than saying this is what you can't do and this is what you can do, right? We teach them how to understand, how to choose better. Listen, we have to trust that the seeds that we plant inside of our children, that if they even do go off into the world, that those seeds will actually come to fruition in their hearts sometime when they discover this is not good stuff for me. I mean, that's the whole story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, the father didn't go, whoa, you can't leave. No, no, what if you go into the world and you find women? Oh my gosh, you find women, everything's gonna fall apart. And when you go spend your money, you're gonna gambling and drunkenness and blah, blah, blah. He goes, son, here's your money. Go do what you think you need to do. He had to trust that he had planted the right stuff within his son so that when he did come to his senses, he knew what was good because it was already planted in his heart, right? We can't stop our kids desiring really bad things. Why? Because you did anyway as well, right? I did. 
I was creeping around going, what bad things can I do today, right? It's all in our hearts. We know that. We can't stop our kids from doing. That doesn't mean we just say carte blanche, do whatever the heck you want. No, while you're living in my house, you're not doing this junk over here. But when you leave, you can do what you want. I remember my father saying that to me. I remember coming late, uh, home late one night and uh, he had told me I always had to be back at 11 o'clock and one night I kept creeping in and all I heard was, Peter? And I'm like, ah. He goes, what time is it? 12.30. And he's like, we'll talk about this in the morning. <laughs> That's a way to send me to sleep, isn't it? So I got up in the morning and he's like, son, I said you have to be in at 11 o'clock. And I'm like, dad, I'm 19 years old. Surely... I can stay out as late as I want. And he goes, you're free to do that when you live by yourself, when you're paying your own bills. But when you're in my house, nothing good happens after midnight and I don't want to sleep with that in my conscience. I'm like, okay, all right, I get it, fair enough. And soon I actually left. I say, I moved out. And I found out I didn't want to stay up all night. Uh, crazy thing. Number two, number two, young people's experience of God is shallow. It's actually very shallow across the board. And that's why they actually want to leave the church. Why? Because 31% say that church is boring. The problem with this word experience is it's easy to say their experience that they're putting into is shallow. But maybe it's us, the parents, the, 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 the previous generation before them. Maybe we're not creating the right experience for them to understand the excitement of what it is to walk with God. There is no challenge upon young people to actually live a bold life, right? We often entertain the children rather than saying, but you can do something great in your life. You can pray for things and see answers to prayer. You could literally tell other people about God and see their life change. No, no, no. What we'll do is we'll just tell them that God loves them and that health and wealth and prosperity will be theirs if they just follow the right rules and regulations. Listen, I'd rather take my kids onto the mission field and help them to see how horrific the world is and how good God has been in our lives. Now, how do we go pass it on to them? Here's what a really cool idea would be. What if we do the happy meal approach? I call it the happy meal approach. A happy meal is give kids what they need wrapped in what they want, right? The Happy Meal is uh, your apple slices and your, your, your milk and your, your hamburgers or your little chicken nuggets, etc. And then they wrap it in a, in a fun box. They wrap it in games. They wrap it in, 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 in uh, little toys that are actually put into that box. That's our approach as a church. I don't know if you knew that, but we do a lot of cool and fun things with our kids because in the middle of it, we have the permission to tell them about what God has called them to do and what God has done for them in their lives. It's called the Happy Meal Approach. We don't want them to walk away going, well, church is boring. That's, that's on us to have to make sure that's not something that we do. And we get it, you know, maybe, maybe the music that we do on a Sunday morning, if you're a baby boomer, maybe that's not your type of thing. Or like, I don't like this loud music. Listen, this is not your granny's jig, as we say in Scotland. This is not your granny's dance right now. Your, 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 your thing's not stamped. Your dance card is not stamped for this. This is for the next generation. But imagine if we could feel the joy of worshiping together, regardless of how loud it was. I was at a conference last week. It was at a black church. I didn't realize how loud black churches were. Really loud! And I'm standing there going, there's no way you're gonna fall asleep in this church. This is great. I love this. I love this. But it's amazing how we have all these desires and we have, no, I like it my way. I don't like it so loud. I don't like it so quiet. Doesn't matter. It's not about you. Our mission is to reach the next generation, right? Come on, give some praise to God. This is really good. I'm at least, I'm at least 21% preaching better than you're clapping. Okay, number three, number three. Church seems too antagonistic to science. This is a really big one. 
Church seems too antagonistic to science. 35% of them said Christians are too confident that they know all the answers. I, I have to say that's really true. I've really seen that a lot. I'm amazed how bold and confident Christians, well, the Bible says it. Well, because the Bible says it doesn't mean you understand it. It doesn't mean you're totally getting. I get that the Bible says it, but it doesn't mean you know what you're talking about because all it takes is someone who understands the Bible better than you to shoot down your arguments. One of them is the devil himself. The devil knows the Bible way better than ourselves, right? There's a tension between faith and science for the next generation. It seems that Christianity does seem a little, uh, you know, anti-science. They can't correlate the science and the faith because they're listening to science at school or in college and they're going, but it makes so much sense with this evolution thing. How is it possible that God could have actually made anything? Here's a question for you. Is evolution wrong? Silence, right? You're too scared because I'm gonna shoot you down if you say the wrong answer, right? Is evolution wrong? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. It's amazing how much we can say, no, 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 everything was created in six days, that's the way it was. But my Bible also says that a day is like a thousand years to God. So maybe every day was a thousand years because the first two chapters of the Bible is poetic, it's not scientific, right? And so is it possible that evolution existed? Maybe it is, I wasn't there. I have no problem when people argue against me saying, here's the process that happened. You know what? I am not a scientist. I don't really necessarily understand all this type of stuff, but I hope that we would engage with humility. But the engagement with the humility would allow us to have clarity on what we do know and what we don't know. Here's what I do know. There is no such thing as an origin of evolution. There is a process of evolution, but no origin of evolution, which basically means this. You can't get something from nothing. That's what I do know. You can't get something from nothing. There has to be an intelligent mind behind this something that came about and evolution can't explain it. That's the God that I believe in. Whatever you want to call it, that's the God I believe in. He's got a mind, he has done something. It's genius, it's amazing and I love that stuff. Keep all the evolution stuff that you want. I'm not gonna argue against that. I don't understand it. I don't really get it. I think the way that we approach this will make a huge difference. We're doing a series just in a couple of months time and we're actually gonna ask very hard questions in, in the, about the Bible. Is the Bible actually pro-slavery? Is the Bible anti-gay? We're gonna ask a lot of different hard questions just in a couple of months. I'm really excited about it because we're hoping that we'll prod your thinking on this. Number four, number four is this. The church's view on sexuality seems simplistic and judgmental. This is a big one, especially now, more than ever before. 40% of them say this, the church is out of date on sexuality and birth control. 40%, that's nearly half of them. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the other half don't agree with that. They just haven't said that. But 40% were vocal in saying that this, the church's view on sexuality is simplistic and judgmental. Now, I get it, listen. Historically, the church has sucketh in the name of Jesus on talking about sexuality, right? We're not very good at it. The only thing we've ever done is we've said, no, you can't do this and no, you can't do that, right? And when I say the church, I mean capital C church, not just our church, right? We're not that great about it. And I get it, I, I don't necessarily, as a parent, I don't wanna send my children off to school and the school starts teaching my children about sexuality because that's what they're doing now. And I don't want other people teaching them about sexuality. Well, here's the question, are we doing a good job of it? 
And we as Christians, as the church, as parents, are we doing a good job on this thing? Because let me tell you, they're learning about that stuff whether you like it or not. There is such unfettered access to the internet and to porn and they are learning about it from their friends. They're learning about it from the internet. They're seeing things. And you might go, no, I don't want my five-year-old learning about this. Listen, your five-year-old is learning about it one way or another when they're watching a cartoon because they're doing a whole bunch of different stuff on these cartoons now. Now we could go, well, well, that's why we need to keep them away from the cartoons. Remember the first thing I said? The church is too overprotective. We don't wanna be overprotective. We wanna teach them how to handle this type of stuff and we've got to get involved with this stuff. I remember my father, I remember when I was about 10 years old, going up to my dad and I said, hey dad, I was reading the Bible. Oh, sounds spiritual, right? I was reading the Bible and it says circumcision. What's circumcision? And I'm telling you, I swear he did this. He looked around. Why would he have to look around, right? Who's gonna hear this? Is your mother here? Maybe someone else could tell you. I don't know, right? I don't know what he was doing, but I remember him just going, okay, okay, well, son, well, let's sit down. We had to sit down to talk about it. That's serious, woo. So we sat down and he goes, well, it's when a man's, um, you know, the thing that he's got, it's when they take it and they chop off the end. And I'm like, what is this science? Do I have to do that? And he's like, oh no, we're under Jesus. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Woo. Now I know in America, you're all about the circumcision thing, but in Scotland, we don't believe in that. We believe in keeping the extra stuff that God has given you, right? But I remember having a chat with him and I'm like, okay, thanks very much. And I was sweating and then I walked away. I'm like, well, that was awkward. I get it, it's awkward stuff, right? It's weird stuff, but we've got to try and get smart of this. What, you know, a really cool thing is they did with the youth actually recently is they had a panel where they were allowed to actually ask hard questions and they were able to talk about that type of stuff you know, anonymously. So that was really cool that they were able to do that. But let me tell you, I believe that God has sent people to tell us that we need to do this type of stuff. There's two psalmists called Salt and Pepper and they said this in chapter one, verse two. They said, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. My point is this, the world is talking about it. Why aren't we, right? Let's say the word orgasm in church today. Can anyone give me an orgasm this morning? Shout. Is that what you shout usually during sex is amen? Is that what you usually shout? Yes, Lord, amen, I'm praying. My wife is hitting this right now. Orgasm. Oh yes, I can see it. It's difficult right now. Yeah, yeah. And some of the kids that are here this morning going, what is happening to my eyes, my ears? Bleach my eyes. My, I was hugging my wife the other day and my daughter came in and she's like, oh, bleach my eyes. I'm like, what is, what is this? I get it, it's awkward for them. But let me tell you, the world is going ahead and speaking and talking to them and teaching them stuff before we've gotten a chance to say, here's what this good stuff that God has given us in context of how it really works and how it's awesome. And I don't care if you're uncomfortable in front of me, I'm gonna talk to you all about this. Number five, number five is, number five is Christianity is too exclusive. That's the big thing. Christianity is exclusive. 29% says churches are afraid of the beliefs of other faiths and other people. Now, that's maybe a perception of theirs. 
Or maybe that is a truth. Maybe we are afraid of this type of stuff. I get it. I believe that, that Christianity somewhat is exclusive, right? But the generation that we're trying to reach is more eclectic than ever before. A more eclectic generation than has ever seen before. We see more uh, races working together and integrating, getting married together. They're, we have more ethnicity. They have more sexuality. They have more religion. They have more uh, diverse authority sources. They have much more access to information and stuff. And their goal is actually how to work with each other. Their goal is actually how to find common ground with each other. They want to play down the differences between them. Why? Because they don't like conflict. You know who likes conflict? Baby boomers. Baby boomers were born in conflict, right? Coming out of conflict. And they came out kicking, going, that's right, and this is left, right? Baby boomers. Baby boomers love conflict, and that's fine. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying the next generations are trying to get away from conflict as much as possible. Now, what they want to do is fight for justice, right? I will march on the streets and I will fight for justice because that's what they think is right. But really, they don't want conflict between each other. In fact, I found that their mantra now has become this phrase. It's called, be kind, right? It's on their t-shirts. It's on their tea towels. It's on their stressed wood on the wall. It says, be kind, right? Everyone wants to be kind. Be kind. I get it. I, I actually agree with being kind. But what I think that we as Christians need to do is we need to figure out how to combine clarity with compassion, right? When Jesus met the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, and by the way, background, Samaritans were basically the rejected half-brothers of the Jews. And so they had interbred with other nations and the Jews went, well, we don't trust you, but they thought of themselves as sons and daughters of God. And so he went through the Samaritan country and he met this woman who was taking water of a well. And he's like, hey, I'll give you, you know, can you give me some water? And she's like, you don't even like, who the heck are you? The, the Jews were racist against the Samaritans. And he said, but I've come to give you living water. And she's like, well, who, who the heck are you? And he goes, listen, if you knew who you were talking to, you would know and you'll find well what to ask for. And he said, listen, I know that you're someone who's already had five husbands and the man that you are living right now with, he's not even your husband. Jesus was becoming clear with what the truth was in her life and what the truth was, how much God wanted her. Now you might just go, oh, he was just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with her, right? No, this is a rejected people. The Jews didn't speak to them. And he broke the boundaries of speaking to women. Men didn't speak to women, especially not in the middle of the day. They didn't do it out in public. He raised her up and decided to interact with people he didn't agree with and didn't, didn't, didn't look like him or act like him. And this is the thing that the church has to become good at. We have to figure out how do we interact with people we disagree with because I do believe historically that even gay and homosexual people have been vilified by the church for centuries. Even those who even had an abortion or even if you believe in abortion, I don't believe in abortion, I think it's wrong, but it doesn't mean that I get to push you away and put you on the other side of the room. Right? Maybe you have had uh, multiple sex partners, etc. I don't think it's God's way, but it doesn't mean I get to say you're lower than me, you're unholy or something untouchable. Every person has been made in the image of God. That's why we reach out to love people. That's why we reach out to love people. Wow. Last one is this. The church seems unfriendly to those who doubt. It's a big one as well. The church seems unfriendly to those that doubt. 36% said, I can't ask my most pressing life questions in the church. 
there are some young people in the church right now, maybe even older people right now, and maybe you haven't felt the permission to actually ask hard questions that seem like they're contrary to what we have been teaching from stage. Forgive us. That's all I can say is forgive us. We want to be in this conversation with you. It doesn't mean we're about to agree with you. We're not about to try and force you to agree with what we say, but we want to have this journey with you to say, how do we discover this answer with you? They've got so many questions like, is homosexuality wrong? Can I have sex with my girlfriend? Is it that white people truly are racist or is that a whole load of baloney? Is it that Trump is really evil? Does God even hate gay people? Does he love God? Does he love people? Does God even exist? What about my depression? Young people have so many hard questions. Maybe even you that are, that are a little bit older have hard questions. We need to have the environment that we allow people to have the freedom to talk about those things without shooting them down, but entirely ending up loving them. Something my father used to say is, you know what we need to do? Ask better questions, right? Instead of making blank statements, let's come up with better questions. And the way he taught me to actually ask better questions, when I, if someone says something that I'm not too sure I, I agree with or I don't really understand, is I'll always ask these two questions. The first one is this, can you explain by what you mean when you say blah, 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 blah? right? Can you explain it? Because why? Because sometimes a person will use a word, but it means something completely differently from me. So if I can understand where they're coming from, then I won't have to shoot them down on Facebook. Get off of Facebook, Christians, at least with your arguments. Just be there to say you're special, you're lovely. Put pictures of cats and food on there. It's better that you're face to face with people to have interactions with them, right? The second question he used to always tell me is this. The first one is, what do you mean by when you say this? And then the second question is, how did you come to the conclusion of what you believe? Why? Because every person has a history of how they've come to what they believe. And it's better that we interact with their history and their experiences so that maybe they need healing, maybe they need prayer, maybe they need counseling, maybe they need love, maybe they've learned something that we didn't learn. Woo! Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to be able to listen to this person. Our approach on how we tackle the next generation is gonna make a huge difference to that scripture that I just read at the beginning of this. And that is the next generation neither knew God or how to walk with him or, or, or the things that he had done. And I want to make sure that as we go out of this world, that we go out fighting, kicking to make sure that we've done our part to reach the next generation. So here's our two challenges that I'm gonna leave with you. Here's our two challenges that we're wrapping up. Our two biggest challenges is this. Number one, how do we interact with the issues without letting them dictate what we believe? Why? Because scripture is still our foundation, right? Just because politics or uh, agendas or whatever it is that's out there has decided that what we're saying is wrong. It doesn't mean that they're right. It just means we have to interact with them, but always remember that scripture is our north. That's, that's, where we, that's where we find our morality. If we take away scripture, then morality is relative. The second thing is this, how do we not minimize the issues? I think that's really important because there are many important things out there to people. And they don't feel like that what they believe in or what they're concerned about is cared by, by the church. The church doesn't care about that stuff. I'm not saying you have to decide to care about it. I'm just asking you to care about the people who do care about the stuff. That makes sense. Care about the people who do care about these issues. How do we not minimize that stuff so we can make a value in their life? 
I told you this wasn't gonna be a word that I'm gonna give to you that you're gonna walk away feeling, I'm so encouraged, but I pray that you will feel absolutely motivated to say, let's do something about this. Last thing I would say to you is this. During the racism stuff that was going on last year, there was a question that I asked many people who couldn't understand what was going on. And I asked them this question. Do you know much about rocket science? And they'll say, no. And I'll say, why not? And they say, because I've never studied it. And I'll say, that's why you know nothing about racism. Because you probably never studied it. Probably never looked into it. Probably not taken the time to try and evaluate these issues so that we can be much smarter and much more compassionate when we're, in, when we're interacting with people who have been impacted by those things. Does that make sense? It's the same principle. We have to get better at what we do so that we can reach the next generation. Let's stand this morning as we end our service. Father God, we are so grateful that you've given us a phenomenal mission. What a great mission you've given us. We get to reach the next generation. We get to be cool. We get to wear skinny jeans. We get to listen to salt and pepper, whatever it takes, Lord. But we will become all things to all men and women in order to reach a few, as Paul said. And we ask that you would give us a passion and a desire for the next generation. We ask this in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Have a great day. I'll see you next week.